electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. An extended interview with Goldman Sachs CEO and friend of the Squawk team, David Solomon. If I take a walk up from Soho on Sunday morning, can I come knock on the window? I might stop by here. There's a Taco Bell over here. We can have some coffee. He's taking a look at the markets, at his business, and at his clients' portfolios. I think it's a time to be cautious. I think you have to expect that there's more volatility on the horizon. And a warning for your own strategy straight from Wall Street. In the distribution of outcomes, there's a good chance we could have a recession. That big interview plus political volatility for the UK and its embattled Prime Minister Liz Truss. And no man should have all that power, so he's losing it. Kanye West's volatile week and a deleted tweet from Elon Musk. Being even in the same image with Kanye West at this very moment is not the greatest of all looks. It's Tuesday, October 18th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Reuters now reporting that the Biden administration planning to sell oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as part of the response to Russia's war on Ukraine. Now, that move is a bid to try to dampen fuel prices before next month's congressional elections. The sale would market the remaining 14 million barrels from President Biden's Previously announced release of 180 million barrels, which started in May. The report says the Department of Energy will release further details and eventually buy. What are you looking at? Eventually buy. It's in the oil. script. I know, I know what you're going to say. It's in the script. Hang tight. Believe- We're going to talk about it. I can't Reflecting believe it's in the, the White script. House's desire to try to combat rising pump prices while supporting domestic drillers. The administration has spoken with energy companies about buying back oil through 2025 to replenish the SPR. Now, gasoline prices have been taking higher, as you know. National average, uh, as of this morning, take a look, $3.87, up 27, uh, 20 cents, I should say, from a month ago. I think I paid more than that this weekend. And No, I just look, can't believe yes. you put it, that, that we put it in there. The move is a bid to dampen fuel prices well, before it's, it's def- next month's congressional election. definitely Are we to sure? dampen prices. That part, before I can Before next say month's very, now, but you said, didn't you read this before you? Factually, <laughs> that is an accurate statement. But I, but is that their intent, or is it, is it about? You the just said it was their intent, Sorkin. If you say it, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> For the first time ever, says no one. You're right, Andrew. I'm right. Well said. Well said. I said it. I, I started laughing when I read it at the top of the show, and then and then I heard you saying it. it's like, did he just? Add, and it's right no, and there. And I didn't add lib. It was. It, Who I know. wrote it? Is is that's uh, the question? And how did it slip through the cracks? And when are you going to start getting in early enough to make sure this doesn't happen again? That's a good question. <laughs> that me, is a better let's, question. Let's move on. Let's move on. Look, this it's is, actually correct. Whether you no, they're definitely there's no doubt. And if you want to go a step further. It's not what it was intended. It's really not. It, it, if it's no, if we there's brought a this up hor- yesterday. especially if you believe that these storms are getting worse and blah, you know, and they're stronger and happening. It's supposed to be, there if, it's supposed to be there if there's a real production. issue, right. a real problem. And we're not real, 
I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. That's why I, I'm so that's why loud you didn't, and proud. That's why. <laughs> loud and proud. An update now from the UK Prime Minister Liz Truss facing calls to resign from within her own Conservative Party just six weeks after taking office. Prime Minister and her finance uh, minister announced the fiscal package on September 23rd. Seems like uh, long ago that triggered market turmoil and a plunging currency. She fired her finance, finance minister last Friday. That was like ballast. Uh, now members of her party are openly calling for her to quit, which is sometimes the way it works. Uh, up to 100 members of the party are believed to have submitted letters of no confidence in the prime minister, according to media reports. And Truss apologized for her mistakes yesterday in an interview to the BBC. Now, I recognize we have made mistakes. I'm sorry uh, for those mistakes, but I fixed the mistakes. I've appointed a new chancellor. Uh, we have restored economic stability and fiscal discipline. And what I now want to do is go on and deliver for the public. Newly uh, appointed finance minister Jeremy Hunt said he plans to reverse nearly all the proposed uh, tax cuts announced by his predecessor. Uh, and trust in September. He's just gunning for the job at this point, right? Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's the. Was he? Uh, that's that's the is chitter he chatter. at that uh, at, at that, that level. level of? That's the speculation. From what I read in the in the British that he might be papers. Um, that's what they call them, the tabloids. Yeah. I don't know. In in the level is in the eye of the beholder. I think is it not at that level? Because I mean. In this country, sometimes, depending on which side you're on, people they would you say that not, guy definitely wasn't, or that person wasn't. You thought we're not at the level, yeah, so we got to the level. Yeah, it's happened. That I think it happens everywhere. Again, we're back to why it happens because you got to be crazy to get into that business in the first place, right? To want the job. To want the job. Yeah. Well, and to get into it, it fulfills some need, I think, for uh, some deep-seated need that people have, whether it's for Being power or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like Lots I said... crazy yeah. people in these jobs, okay. too. Okay, all right. Elon Musk has now deleted a tweet, he doesn't do that that often, uh, that appeared to tease a team-up with Kanye West. The image showed Musk and West's face photoshopped on a cartoon. I don't know if it was really them teaming up, but uh, with the logos of Parler and Twitter superimposed on their chest, the image was captioned, fun times ahead. It was deleted two hours after it was posted. West has reportedly agreed to purchase social media platform Parler after being locked out of Instagram and Twitter over anti-Semitic posts. I think it might have just been a view that being even in the same image with Kanye West at this very moment is not uh, the greatest of all looks. <laughs> Meantime, by the way, I'm just trying to think where, I mean, I don't know how much Kanye, how, how much money Kanye West has. I also don't know how much Parler costs, but. My guess is decidedly what, less than Twitter. What, what are we talking about here? Oh, d decidedly less than Twitter, but, yeah. but decidedly less than, you know, a car. I mean, what are we talking about in right. terms of what, what this really, really costs? Nice, maybe a really nice car. No, Kanye's loaded. There's no doubt. He, he must start with a. You start with a B? His line is 10% of the revenue at Adidas, and that's just one of many lines Start with a B, doesn't it? That was quite a power yes. couple there for a while in terms His of... line, that's true, but I thought, and maybe I misunderstood, unlike, you know, Michael Jordan, he's always complained bitterly that well, he yes, doesn't so get a piece, a real piece of the Adidas Easy line, right? He complains Isn't that... about that, but I, my guess is he's, he's got some cash coming in, okay. in in a lot of different places. That's just one business line. He's got a bunch of them. He's, he has decidedly right. fewer business lines than he had a few weeks ago, but um, 
but yeah, he was making some cash for quite a while. We really going? I guess we can go. Coming up, uh, Yankees Cleveland. The one good thing, the one good thing is that now it's on at four o'clock today. <laughs> from the rain? From the rain. Yeah. From last so you'll night. actually I be waited awake and waited. You get to see it with your dinner. I'll be semi awake. Uh, I'll be semi awake. Four thirty as you're eating. I your won't dinner. make it to the end of the if it's extra innings, forget it. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, a special extended interview with Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon. I think there's no question we're tightening economic conditions relatively quickly. We're reversing what's been a very, very long period of relatively easy economic conditions. And as you do that, at some point, there's going to be a bigger impact on consumer behavior, on market behavior. You know, I think we've started to see that. His recession predictions, Goldman's partnership with Apple, the company's new reorg. Hey, we even cover back to office transitions. Before the pandemic, about 75% of our people were in the office on any given day of the week. Today, it's about 65%. It's all right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. And today's big interview, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon. The bank's big headline this week, a proposed reorganization. Now, the plan hasn't been formally released yet, but here's what we know. The bank's four divisions would turn into three, splitting its consumer finance prime brokerage initiative between two other groups. It's currently the weakest link revenue-wise for Goldman. This would be CEO David Solomon's third reorg in four years. And it's not the only change that's occurred under his leadership. Famously, during the height of pandemic remote work, a group of Goldman's youngest bankers, the newest employees, banded together to create and then circulate a presentation of their grievances about working at the bank, their long hours. Well, the inside joke went outside, the spoof report went viral, and ultimately it did prompt pay raises for new recruits and for their peers at fellow Wall Street firms. Goldman reported third quarter financials today, which meant it was a perfect time for us to invite its CEO for an interview. The bank came in above analysts' expectations. Revenue did decline, but less than expected. Volatile markets, however, and looming recession fears discouraged new companies from listing publicly, so the IPO business was quiet. If you were to look at a chart of Goldman Sachs stock today, you'd see shares popped a little on the quarterly report, particularly due to the success of Goldman's fixed income trading desk. Now, this is interesting. While markets have been choppy this last quarter, traders were all over the ups and downs of the currency and bond markets. 
good news for Goldman. CEO David Solomon, who champions the benefits of in-person work, he made it to our set in Times Square to chat all about the latest on Wall Street. Andrew takes it from here. Joining us in an exclusive interview is Goldman Sachs' CEO, David Solomon. Nice to see you, sir. It's nice to see you guys. On set at the table. Really happy to be here. Really, Um, really happy to be with you on set. We've been joking with you for years now that you're an in-person guy, so now it's nice to see you in person. It's it's nice to be in person. It's Um, nice to be with you. Let's talk about these numbers, and let's also talk about the other big headline that a lot of folks in Wall Street are talking about, which is this reorg of what's happening inside the company. But in terms of the numbers, uh, better than expected. Um, But there's a lot of questions about what the future of this firm is going to look like. So speak to it if you could. Sure. Well, I, you know, on, on the numbers, this was a, you know, this is a challenging operating environment, certainly for a capital market-centered firm. There has not been a lot of capital markets activity, given the headwinds of economic activity. Equity issuance, right. debt issuance has been slower. M&A activity was still relatively robust, and I think strategic dialogues still remain pretty good at this point in time. Our clients were active, though, and the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of when I look at the way our team's done um, over the course of the last few quarters, if you look at our market shares and our wallet shares, we're really, we're really focused on our clients and we're really doing well in servicing them and being there with liquidity and capability and financing you know, to meet their needs. What's a very challenging time. In terms of thinking of you, though, as a bellwether for the capital markets, what are you expecting in terms of the next? When you look out sure. over the next couple of quarters, what does it even feel like to you? I, I think it feels uncertain. And, you know, I... I um, I think there's no question we're tightening economic conditions relatively quickly. We're reversing what's been a very, very long period of relatively easy economic conditions. And as you do that, at some point, there's going to be a bigger impact on consumer behavior, on market behavior. You know, I think we've started to see that. But I think until we have a better trajectory on the direction of economic activity, it's hard to really know where markets settle. So I think it's time to be cautious. Um, if you look at if you look at what most economists are predicting, they're predicting slow to no growth in the U.S. They're predicting negative growth across other developed economies in Europe. And so that environment heading into 2023 is one that I think you've got to be cautious and prepared for. So to the for. extent that you have to place a bet on where to put your own business, meaning is it trading where you think that the, the growth is going to come? And what is, when you look out over the next year, where's the, to the extent there's opportunity, if there is one, what is it? Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity with our clients because our clients are resorting their position, given the fact that the world's changed. We're entering a period where there's more embedded inflation. Obviously, the Fed's focused on taming that, but we're, we're shifting the economic environment materially. Right. I think big businesses are looking at how they're strategically positioned and saying, how do we adapt to that? Scale matters a lot in an environment like this. People are shifting supply chains. It's not that everything's onshoring, but they're thinking more strategically about certain supply chains. And so as you look ahead, and, and think about that. I think our clients will continue to be active, and we're there prepared right. to serve them. And we don't, we don't really think, Andrew, we're not looking quarter to quarter. We've got a leading investment banking business, a leading global markets business. We have an extraordinary asset and wealth management platform, and all of those are set up to serve clients. And this, this reorganization of the way we're organized really comes out of our one Goldman Sachs ethos to try to say, how can we continue to position ourselves to serve our clients better? Okay, so let's talk about that, because you're going to go from effectively four units to three. Uh, the Marcus business gets moved into the wealth management uh, piece of things. There's this new platforms cloud unit that's going to encompass the sort of uh, Goldman, Apple, and, and, uh, um, and, and um, General Motors piece of the, the card business. Why break it up that way? So this is all really driven 
through this client lens that I was talking about. And one of the big things that we're very proud of and we think it's really had an impact on the firm's performance over the last four years is the evolution of this one Goldman Sachs ethos. It started four years ago with taking 30 clients and saying, how can we serve them across the firm, break down silos, serve them very well. It's now expanded to hundreds of clients, but it's really become an operating ethos in the firm. And we've seen in doing that, there are synergies between our banking and our markets business. They've been operating increasingly close together um, over the course of the last couple of years. And when we think about our investing platforms across asset and wealth, we've wanted to really bring those together as we've been able to organize over the last few years. And so that was the lens of really doing this. The fundamentals really don't change. The leadership does move to different places, but it's the same leadership, a couple of people with different responsibility. The financial targets are the same. With respect to how we're serving consumers, we really have had two businesses that we've been working on. One is a direct-to-consumer business, and that business, we've learned a lot over the last few years. And, one and of the that's things, the Marcus business. That's the Marcus business. And one of the things we've learned is that our ability to align with our wealth business, to go to consumers and people that are already on our platform is a strength of the firm. And that's a better place for us to be focused than to be out massively looking for consumers. And so we're, we're aligning it with wealth. Right. And then we have our partnerships, like the big card. And those are fintech platforms. We're embedded in somebody else's ecosystem. And those operate differently, and that's a big opportunity for the firm. Does it indicate you've cooled at least a little on, on consumer? Did, is it retrenching just slightly and realizing you want to focus on what Gold, was made Goldman great for years? And three I, years ago, it looked like you were really headed that way. Yep. I, I, think, I think we've learned a lot over the last few years, Joe. We, this is an important part of the firm, and the most important part of it is we now have $110 billion of digital deposits, and we need those deposits. As a bank, we had to diversify our funding. That's been a hugely important part of the journey. Um, but as we've learned, the concept of really being broad with a consumer footprint is, is not really playing to our strength. But when you look at our wealth platform, you look at workplace wealth, where we have access to millions of individuals through our workplace wealth offering. The ability to add banking services to that and align right. with that actually plays to our strength. And these partnerships, our ability to build fintech platforms, if you look at what we've done in transaction banking, you look at what we've done with the Apple card, this is actually a strength of ours. And these are interesting platforms that we can be very focused on creating more transparency what's, around. What's the chance that the Marcus brand doesn't remain? Meaning that you, you move and say, you know what, Goldman Sachs is the brand. That's what works for us. That's what we're going to do. Well, we're moving, we're, moving, we're moving in a direction of really amplifying Goldman Sachs. Right. You know, we, we had started when we started this. And again, when you're innovating and you're trying new things, you've got to be willing, and I think this is a strength of the firm, you've got to be willing to try things and then kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, this part worked, this part doesn't work, let's make an adjustment. So we started with Marcus right. by Goldman Sachs. Now if you look at the way it's positioned, it's Goldman Sachs Marcus. What's the brand out there that everyone really knows? Goldman Sachs. And so, you know, Marcus has some brand identity. We're going to continue to work on our deposit platform. We're going to continue to offer these banking services adjacent to our wealth platform. Right. That's where our direct-to-consumer model will be. It plays to our strength. It's a much better customer acquisition strategy you know, for us. And we're excited about these, these digital fintech platforms. And we think over time, we can show people that what we've built and what we have here is really unique. I think what we announced with Apple last week is, is pretty cool. Is that the high-yield product. Can, yeah, the, this, the Highline announcement yep. that you're going to be able to go onto your phone, go into Apple Cash, and link over to a Goldman Sachs high-yield savings account directly out of Apple Cash. That's, that's, that's another example of how when you get into these partnerships and you right. get embedded in somebody's ecosystem, can you, can you talk, though, about the margin of, of the deal with Apple? 
because I think people have always wanted to understand the dynamic behind that transact behind that arrangement. Sure. Well, one of the one of the things that that you'll see that we're announcing today, I mean, it's in it's in the it's in the earnings release and the earnings script, which is now out, is that we've extended our partnership with Apple through the end of the decade and made adjustments to it. So one of the things that happened that's very very interesting about the card is we went out and we saw the card experience. The deal was based on a partnership where there were assumptions. How people behave with this card because of the technology was different. We've now looked at that and we've now renegotiated it so the partnership really works for both of us as we go forward. By the way, the what was the lesson? Different in what way? Um, I'm sorry? You said, what was the lesson? The, different the, the, in what people, way? People pay down their people. It's actually good financial health. People pay down their balances much more quickly. So when you think about a credit card, how does a bank make money on a credit card? A bank makes money on a credit card because people have balances. If people are paying down their balances at a much faster rate and you have more, you have more less borrowers right. and more you know, immediate payers, the economics are different. And so there's something about the behavior that you can click on your phone and immediately pay down that people are paying their credit card bills multiple times a month. That's good financial behavior. That's what you want. So that was an innovation. We all looked at it. We modeled it differently. You know, who negotiates, who renegotiates a partnership before the partnership's over and extends it in something like but this? But meaning it shows that renegotiation you, had better terms for Goldman Sachs because you weren't going to make yeah, so the was, money it was, re, it was rebalanced because it's an important partnership for Apple and Goldman Sachs. And there's a lot that we can do together. It's a real partnership. We're not just a, we're not just someone supplying money here. We've got technology that's embedded in their ecosystem, and we're trying to find ways to help people with their financial well-being. And we're, you know, we're moving forward with that. So it's, it's a very interesting platform. And like anything else, we're building something. It's new. The results aren't immediate. But you know, think about Goldman Sachs. Let's step back to the earnings at a high level. Tough, tough operating yep. environment. Look at our performance. Are we on a relative basis to people we compete with? We feel good about that. The firm's performing, but we're also making investments in some things that can allow the firm to grow over time, continue to position the firm competitively. That's what we're supposed to do. You, you try things. If they work, they work. Maybe you take another look. Did, did remote hybrid work model, did that, do you view that as a success? Well, for, for Goldman Sachs, you know, I've talked about this actively. It, we have an organization where 50% of the people are in their 20s. They come to Goldman Sachs to learn, to meet people, to interact. You know, for our organization, we had to do what we could do to bring people together, you know, on a reasonable basis as quickly as possible. And we're, we're kind of operating that way at this point. Before the pandemic, about 75% of our people were in the office on any given day of the week. Today, it's about 65%. So we're, we're kind of operating close to the way we were. You want to get back pandemic. to 75? Are you okay with 65? You know, I, I'd like to get back to the culture we had before, which is people come to work, do their work, they live their lives, they have the flexibility to manage. I mean, one of the things that was very interesting, Joe, when I looked at the data um, and really looked at how things operated at the firm before the pandemic, if you broke the firm into people in their 20s versus people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, I mean, there are a couple of dinosaurs like me that are are out of that, that entirely. But if you, if, you looked at, um, if you looked at the data, the people in their 20s generally came to work five days a week. The people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s had more flexibility, were moving around, they had responsibilities with kids, et cetera. I don't want rules. I want a culture where we show up, we serve our clients, we work hard, we mentor our people, we teach our people, we strive for excellence. That's what Goldman Sachs is all about. And I want a culture that really promotes that. I don't want a set of rules. Hey, David, you are great at risk assessment. And Jamie Dimon spoke about risk assessment last week. And I think he concerned a lot of people in the market when he kind of said things that could play out. He had one line that really caught my attention, just saying, if you need money, you better line it up now, basically. If you make a list of all the prior crises, sitting here, we would not have predicted where they came from. 
though I think you can predict this time that it probably will happen. And so I'd be, if I was out there, I'd be very cautious. If you need money, go raise it. When you look at the environment, when you look at the market and what's potentially out there, what do you see? Yeah, well, this, this goes back to what I said earlier, Becky. I, you know, I think it's a time to be cautious. Um, and I think that if you're running a risk-based business, it's a, time to, um, it's a time to think more cautiously about your risk box, your risk appetite. I think you have to expect that there's more volatility on the horizon. Now, that doesn't mean for sure that we have a really difficult right. economic scenario. But in the distribution of outcomes, there's a good chance we could have a recession ten here year, in the United ten years? States. Uh, did you see Drucker Miller? I, 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 um, I think it's hard to predict. You know, <laughs> that far the future is hard to predict. But I, if, I, we played it, if we paid it forward, the Fed, uh, do we have unfunded liabilities at the federal level that are going to impact whether we're able to grow? Stan, I, you know, who knows? But he said we may be unchanged on the S&P 10 years from now. We've had decades like that before, certain, We've had decades like that before. I'm, I'm acutely aware of the fact that, that if you put um, $100,000 into U.S. stocks in 1970 and 1980, it was worth, worth $50,000. Right. So there's no, we've lived in a period really since I got out of school. I got out of school in 1984. We've lived in a period where there have been lots of speed bumps. But if you kind of held your breath for six to 12 months, we kind of marched ahead on this continuation of, you know, easier money, asset appreciation, you know, relatively quickly. In an environment where inflation's more embedded and growth is slower, you know, asset appreciation will be tougher. Now, are we going to get rooted in that kind of a decade-long scenario? You know, I, I don't know. The policy decisions we make from here, you know, will have an impact. You know, can we make, can we make better energy policy that can last across administrations? Can we make better immigration policy? You know, can we, can we find ways to do things that allow us to invest, right. you know, in our society in a way that make it easier, you know, to shift this? And I, I don't have the answers to that, but certainly we're all going to focus on it. If you're a risk manager right now, I think you have to prepare for right. a more difficult environment in 2023. Talking about raising capital, the IPO market is closed effectively. How long do you think that that lasts? How hard is it to raise capital in this market? And as a result, do you think you're going to see people taking companies private, not taking companies private, doing all? What, what, how's this all going to work? Well, I, I you know, I'd, I, I think it's fair to say the IPO market is closed. What I'd prefer to say is <laughs> the world is still resetting its mindset as to, you know, what valuations are if you're going to go right. public. I, I, I'd, I'd mention it, but I'm not sure that it's out there yet. We have a relatively significant IPO that's coming to market that I think is getting announced today. Um, and, um, and just in the context of that, the valuation perspective is a different valuation perspective than somebody with the mobile transaction with Intel. It's been announced. So it's yep, been announced. Doubt. Okay, so that's an example. So, I mean, it, you know, the Porsche IPO came. Yep. So I think you're going to see good companies that have a strategic reason for going public, you know, going public. But the but valuation expectations yeah. and the discounts are going to be more significant until you start to see a good experience with that, and you know, that will move forward. Historically, even in tough economic environments, the capital raising marketplace doesn't right. close for years at a time. But there's definitely a reset going on in terms of you know, what capital costs, you know, what the discounts are. But at the end of the day, companies need capital. Companies need to move forward. They need to invest, and they just have to look through the lens that's appropriate for today's right. market environment. And I think that transition's going on, and, and, and you'll see that you know, evolve in the How company. How do you think about your own valuation, which arguably is underperformed relative to a lot of the other banks? I mean, the bigger, you know, the big money center banks. Well, I, 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 I notice year to date, uh, year to date, 
you know, this year that our stock's down less than the S&P. And I think all the other people we'd be benchmarked against are down more than the S&P. So, you know, what window do you want to look at? I, what I like, what I like the earnings power of the firm over time to be recognized more broadly than it is, of course. But I think our job, Andrew, is we're growing the firm. We're growing the earnings. I'm very proud of the fact since our investor day in 2020, we've grown the book value per share of Goldman Sachs by 40 percent since our investor day a little over two and a half years ago. If we continue to do that, if we continue to grow our client franchise, focus on our franchise, grow our earnings, grow our book value, perform for our clients, we'll, we'll do just fine. But do you see the growth opportunity coming from the platform business? Is that where this, I mean, when you our, start to- uh, we, our, business, our, our business is our, our banking and markets business. Right. It's the a good business. It. No, it's, no doubt. It's, it's the strongest piece of the business. But the thing I'd highlight there that, that that we feel very good about, look at our wallet shares over the last three years. Some of the growth of that business came from the environment for sure, but our relative position in terms of our wallet shares, our wallet shares have really improved in those businesses over the last few years. And I think that's because of the way we're serving clients and what we're doing. So our, our wallet and our ranking with clients has gotten better, and that's helped the growth and the stability you know, the book. of the business. Stealing business from where? Book. I'm sorry. Stealing book business from other from other from other banks. Just take the banks. Everybody reports. Add up the wallet that was available. What's our book. share? Our shares are up 300 basis points, and so we've really improved our share. You know, in the, in those businesses, what, what, we're growing our asset management business. I'm just, sorry, Joe. That's okay. Well, historically, yeah. where's Goldman trade uh, to book? Because it, was this the right number? Three, uh, 308, and it was at 306. Yeah, it, we're trading right around book. We're trading, we're trading right below book. book. Well, below book. book. If it's if the stock's three hundred six, except for today, it's at three fourteen. It's up. Okay, so now, so how often do you get to buy Goldman? How often do you get to buy Goldman at one times book? There, there have been there have been there have been a number of periods over the last over the last fifteen years where you could buy Goldman Sachs at book. There have been a handful of times where you can buy it below book. But generally speaking, you know, since the firm went public, it's right. traded above book. But I think. If you look at if you look at the peer group, most of the peer group is trading right. around book or book below too. group. Right. You know, broadly but, speaking, I think the market still looks at these large financial institutions through a historical lens. I think they're capitalized differently. Their businesses are bigger, broader, more diverse, and their earnings power is is meaningful. But it, but at the moment, you know, certainly given the environment and the uncertainty, right. I understand why people are cautious. Would you spend your own money by stock here? Well, I, I, I own a lot of Goldman Sachs stock, so I, you know. But, I mean, this is at this valuation. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I would. I'm not supposed to go on television and say, you know, this, that, or the other. I, I think we're running a very good company, a very good business. We're doing really well with our clients, and we're very focused on our clients. I think we're making some interesting investments that give us some nice opportunities in the future to add to the firm. I think the asset and wealth opportunity and our ability to grow those platforms you know, we're, we're very, very focused on our ability to grow management fees. We put out a $10 billion target on management fees and a $2 billion alternatives target. We're very focused on those. I think you noticed that we had two and a quarter billion dollars of management fees, you know, in the quarter. Um, and so we're, you know, we're focused on diversifying and strengthening the firm, serving our clients. And if we keep growing our book value, growing our earnings, I think we're going to do fine. How many, how many layoffs will we see? You know, I think it depends. I think when you look at when you look at businesses broadly, I think it depends on what the economic environment you know Gold, is. From Goldman here. Sachs. I, mean. I, I I can't predict. You know, obviously Will we, we want to. see some in the next six months. I, I I I can't predict. We I think you know that we have a process that we do every year where we look at you know bottom performers, a small single digit number, the people that we don't think are really working in their jobs. We had stopped that during COVID and earlier this fall. 
We did an exercise in that context, but at the moment we have no other plans. But I, I can't tell you what the future brings, and I think for all businesses, I think you have to look, Joe, Goldman Sachs' headcount over the last two years has grown by 8,000 people. We've taken our headcount from 40,000 to 48,000. A lot of that is engineering talent. We're making a significant investment in the underlying infrastructure of the firm, where I think, candidly, we've had some deficit, and so we're, we're trying to catch up and invest. You know, it wouldn't be surprising if we got into a really tough environment. We'd certainly have to slow the pace well, of growth. It would be mostly the people that are, want to stay at home. Are they out of here? I mean, they're... I mean, it's like they're toast, right? I mean, it's like you don't want to come back. Uh, you know what? Stay at home. You know, if you're not going to come in on Saturday, don't even think about coming in on Sunday. Right? This is Joe's mentality, by the way. This is what he would like. No, to I so if I well, we have this. If I take, if I take a walk, if I take a walk up from Soho on Sunday morning, will I find you sitting here doing some work? Can I come knock on the window? I might stop. Will by you let here? me? Will I you let me in? We can Taco have some Bell coffee over here. That's we can have some <laughs> coffee if I come up on Sunday morning. We can have no, some I coffee right here. I'm here when the market's open. Okay. David Solomon, thank you for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you, appreciate guys. Really, really great to be with you. I appreciate you. the time. Come on thank back. You very great much. to have you on. Oh, come back next quarter. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you very much. you here, here, where we can interact and Absolutely. learn and, and you know, nurture. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Have a favorite podcast app? Let us know. You can tweet us at Squawk CNBC anytime. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.